So here we are in part three of my three-part series that I have called Parenting People Who Are Deconstructing Their Faith. And when I started out, I thought I would get all three of these podcasts um, recorded during the month of December, and so I would deliver them to you as a Christmas gift. But as it turned out, I got two of my three uh, episodes of the three-part series recorded in December prior to Christmas, and then have been away for the past couple of weeks celebrating Christmas with my family and um, just and with friends and just enjoying the holidays. I hope that you've been enjoying the holidays too. Here in Middle Tennessee today, it's January the 5th when I'm recording this, we had um, four between four and five inches of snow. And so it's been absolutely beautiful. I love a snow day. I, um, I don't know why I love a snow day. Maybe because it's unexpected. Maybe because um, everybody is just given a time out, but not for doing something bad. It's like just a gift. Like here, have an extra day. A day where nothing else really matters except that you have some fun in the snow. So it's been a great day. It's beautiful. Uh, we did get snow and not slush this time. And it's going to be very pretty tomorrow, too, I think. But all of this snow is going to get really, really frozen. So it'll get a little slippier. And looks like the kids are going to get to be out of school both today, which is a Thursday. Did I say it was the 5th? Is it the 5th or is it the 6th? I have gotten all confused with my dates. But anyway, they're going to be out of school Thursday and Friday of this week. And then on Saturday, it's going to warm back up like it typically does in Tennessee. We we get cold, and then we get warm, and then we get cold, and then we get warm. And it's like a never-ending yo-yo during the winter in Tennessee. <laughs> I hope you all are having a great uh, beginning to your new year. And... Um, I'm looking forward to wrapping up this series, this little three-part series of podcasts that I'm doing. Now, this is not to say that I won't pop in periodically and talk some more about this subject because I tend to teach out of what's going on in my world. And because I do have um, several children that are in the process of deconstructing their faith or that have um, walked away from their faith during this particular season of their lives, I uh, am, it is what I'm dealing with. It's where my spiritual journey has taken me. It's where God has me. And I tend to speak and teach out of those places. So I'm sure that this subject won't be left behind, but um, we'll move on to some other greater things like prayer and how we know that God always answers and how we can um, take hold of his promises and some, so many great things that we can talk about regarding prayer as we move into this new year in 2022. But I want to begin this third of our three-part series, kind of wrapping up that what we've been talking about and share with you that I found a really good book this past week. I've been reading it on my Kindle and it's called The Anatomy of Deconversion by John Marriott. And I'll put that if I can figure out how, I'll put it in our show notes. If not, I will for sure blog and give these resources that I'm going to be quoting from during this podcast right now. And um, I will also continue to blog about these things along the way too. So if you're interested in what I'm saying on the podcasts and you want to be in our connecting community where we're continuing these conversations with each other, do sign up for my emails. You can sign up on my website at leannemccoy.com and it's L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N-M-C-C-O-I.com. Or um, you could also sign up for our emails on the prayerclinic.com website. I've got two websites out there. And on both of those, I do some blogging. And so on the Leanne McCoy website, I do more personal uh, subject type blogging. And then on the prayer clinic website, I do more blogging specifically targeted toward uh, church prayer leaders because that's what the prayer clinic ministry is all about. It's all about... Uh, delivering resources, connecting with, and uh, helping you grow your prayer ministry in your church. Because my friends, you know that I believe that when we pray, God works. When we work, we work. And when we pray, God works. And um, God is working. And He's wanting to do even more 
in our lives. And um, as we continue to pray, we're going to continue experiencing the power of God. So let me pray for us right now as we begin this third of the three-part series in um, parenting people who are deconstructing their faith. Lord, we acknowledge that you alone are God, that you sit on your throne high and lifted up. You never wring your hands. You never jump up out of your throne and say, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. You never lay your head back and, and weep out of despair. But you do often, I believe, allow tears of compassion to flow down your beautiful face as you watch us bumble about here on earth so disconnected from the power source that you have through us through our connectivity with you and the feeling that you give us of the Holy Spirit. And so Father, even right now as we enter into this time in this podcast, we invite you to fill our mind and our heart with your spirit so that you would take what's being said, these words that are being transmitted from the inside of me and to the outside of me and to this uh, process of podcasting to the inside of of these precious people who are listening. And Lord, would you let let the words um, just produce healing and wholeness and strengthening and power in us so that we can um, walk in the fullness of the kingdom of love that you've given us, that you've provided for us to walk in, especially as we're um, interacting and processing and relating to our children whom we love so very much. God, let us never forget that they were your idea before they were ours, that you love them more than we could ever imagine, and that you can go where we cannot. And so, Lord, as we um, wrap up this study, we invite you to to just um, put our hearts and our minds at ease as we lean heavily into you and watch and see and celebrate what only you can do. I just give you my mind, my, my heart, my mouth, and ask that you would let whatever comes out be glorifying to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, this great book that I found called The Anatomy of Deconversion by John Marriott defines the experience of conversion very, very well. Because I think before we talk about how our kids are deconverting, you know, they're going through a process of deconversion, we have to um, have a good working definition of what conversion is. What does it really mean to know Jesus personally and to have a relationship with Him? And this was John Marriott's definition of conversion. Biblically speaking, a Christian is a person who has experienced an ontological alteration at the most profound level of their being due to their belief in Christ, which in turn has brought them into a spiritual union with God. The Bible describes such persons as being reconciled with God, justified before God, redeemed by God, sanctified by God, and indwelt by the very Spirit of God. Isn't that great? This biblical definition of conversion is uh, as you or I or our children or whomever, an individual having an ontological alteration at the most profound level of their being. Now, honey, that is some big words that just say a deep soul-settling change. And um, you know how that happened to you. And I know how that happened to me. And we know that it was profound. And that as a part of it being so profound, it made all the difference in the world in our lives. And that's why we're still sitting right here today listening to a podcast as parents of people who are deconstructing their faith. And because we care very much about our own relationship with the Lord and with our children's relationships with the Lord. When I was 11 years old, I was at a girls camp in the North Georgia mountains and we were celebrating Christmas in July. We even hung our little tube socks at the foot of our bunk beds and stuffed treats in it for, from our little secret angels. We all had a secret, a secret camper that, was, that we were supposed to be a secret angel for throughout the week. <laughs> 
and and we would you know make something in the craft hall or find something or buy them something at the snack shop or whatever and leave these little gifts for our for our little camper friend and it was that week during the celebration of christmas in july that a missionary was singing oh holy night at our dinner in the kitchen right there in the summer and while he was singing it's a long song you know oh holy night is and while he was singing this this change happened in me this ontological alteration at the most profound level of my being began to happen to me because my imagination my mind my heart whatever was deep in me began to take a journey with a voice of the Lord who said to me Leanne if you had been the only one in all of the world who needed saving, I would have come for you. And he did it more with pictures than with words because at first I saw the baby Jesus in the manger. And I was imagining as, he, as the guy was singing the song that I was sitting there at the manger and I was looking at the baby and that the baby himself just turned and looked at me and his eyes locked with mine. And all I saw coming out of this little bitty baby was pure love. Just fully accepting, all-encompassing, everything I could have ever longed for was in the gaze that I experienced in my imagination while the guy was singing, Oh Holy Night. And then almost immediately when I felt the feeling of that gaze of love from that baby, I saw those same eyes on a, on a cross, and I promise you, as I tell it again today to you on this podcast, it was almost like I was really there because I felt the, the stormy weather and the, and the wetness of the air and the breeze and the, and the crowd and the tension of what was going on. And there I was at the foot of a Roman crucifixion. And looking up at the eyes of Jesus, who was stretched out, literally paying the price for sin, him dying in my place so that the righteousness of God could be satisfied, and so there would no longer be a divide between me and my Heavenly Father. And those same eyes were looking down at me and saying, Leanne, if you had been the only one that ever needed a Savior, I would do this. I did do this for you. And I remember just being so overwhelmed at that moment when Jesus himself, through his eyes, were looking at me and inviting me into a personal relationship with him. And I already knew that all I had to do was just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want you to take me to heaven when I die. And whatever that means here on earth that I knew at 11 years old. And I want to be right with you. And to my surprise, it was about so much more than just um, getting to heaven when I died. Immediately what came over me was this profound sense of spiritual union with God. I was reconciled with the Lord God Almighty. I, I experienced the justification that Jesus had freely handed to me. And I was cleansed by the power of His blood. And I believe at that very moment at 11 years old in the cafeteria in the North Georgia mountains, the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God took up residence in me. And um, at 11 years old, to the best of my understanding, that began my journey with the Lord. It was a journey of getting acquainted with one another of understanding who he is, not just from the word, from the Bible, from the book, and from the teachers in the classes that I went to, but an understanding from the inside of me. This very real presence that I could carry on a conversation with. This person who was with me all the time, even when I was alone, I wasn't alone because I always had him with me. And um, it was good. It was really, really good. And um, I want to read to you something that was in the book. I'm going to read a couple of quotes out of this book about deconversion. And the first one, pardon me while I figure out what page it's on, because I know what page it's on. I just got to find it because um, I put it in my notes. So here on page um, 34 in my Kindle version of the book. I guess that's the same as the written version. I'm not sure. But listen to this. Um, what, what John the Baptist said about the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance spoken of by John the Baptist is the action of bringing oneself into alignment with the rule and reign of God in one's life. 
Of course, no one does so perfectly, but without the rule and reign of God being manifest to some degree, it's highly questionable whether an individual is a Christian, biblically speaking. And so, even at 11 years old, when I was what I would call saved, I knew that the first thing, that a part of being saved wasn't just that God was coming to save me from myself and to save me from sin, take me heaven with a die, but he was coming to rule because he was God and that was his rightful place. So he was coming to rule in my life, which meant that when I was inviting him into my heart because he was bringing with him salvation, I was also submitting myself to his rule and his reign rather than mine. And you know, as I'm saying this out loud right now, in my day when I was a kid and when I was growing up, that wasn't a controversial thing. You know, to give over lordship of your life, to give over rulership, it was, it was actually very attractive because I wouldn't have to be in the driver's seat anymore. You know, like the country song, Jesus Take the Wheel. It was a, it was a welcome exchange. And um, even to those who didn't attend church, they did understand to some degree that that Christian kids had something they didn't have. They, they had a little more confidence, a little more pep in their step, a little more security because they had somebody else that was calling the shots in their lives. Of course, you know, we didn't all walk the straight and narrow every single day and sometimes we kind of ruined our testimony. But that was like a piece of that world. Now it seems in our world today to give somebody else rule of our lives is to relinquish um, is to relinquish authority, but it's also like to relinquish a part of our personhood, because there's such a subtlety in our culture today that makes one want to be all they can be. Like I am, I am the one, I am the power, uh, and and some some people. In fact, if you have children that are spiritual in their deconversion, they're not just replacing what Christianity was to them with nothing. They're replacing it with a, a divine that uh, flows in and through the atmosphere and the earth and the plants and the animals and in and through us. And it's a, it's a divinity that lets me be Lord of me in a way, though, that's very compassionate and friendly and, and uh, uh, let's see, how do you say, generous toward others. It has a very high regard for other people, too. In some ways, very much mimicking Christianity, but not quite, um, but definitely not receiving the message of I am a sinner in need of a savior. In fact, that is the part of the message that is extremely, um, some that are deconverting their faith get very hostile toward that. Like that was the kicker. Like how dare you tell me that I was a sinner because I am this divinely amazing and beautiful spirit creature that dwells in this world and it can get even more weird than that and I don't know what's going on with your kid but I know what's going on with mine and it can get very strange but anyway this fruit of repentance is um, coming into alignment with the rule and the reign of God in our lives and um, the writer of this book is saying perhaps not all the people that are deconverting ever really understood what that meant and and I don't know whether they did or not I mean I certainly my kids they, they certainly did go through the motions and and maybe they were what could be called a sociological Christian but um, you know they they didn't seem to be opposed to giving over leadership of their lives to the Lord um, and what I would say at this point in the conversation it's not really about whether your child was ever a a converted Christian or whether they were just going through the motions it's more about the fact that they've chosen to walk away from their faith and what I've got here is only God knows what's happening in someone's heart and we we are not we don't even have to figure that out I mean mom and dad take that off your shoulders you don't have to figure that out that's not between you and them and God that's just between God and them and God knows he's not trying to figure out what's going on in the heart of your child he knows. He knows what's going on in their heart. Um, and I, I did make the point that many of our children might have been sociological Christians as opposed to biblical Christians. They were immersed in the culture of Christianity, and so it was very natural that they would choose to be a part of it. And um, 
you know, we can't know whether they were merely going through the motions or whether they were truly saved when they made their decisions and were baptized. Only God knows. But if your son or daughter or both of them have chosen to deconvert, I think we can safely say that if their faith no longer works for them, then it's not the faith that works. So, if your son or daughter had embraced a faith that could be deconverted, then that faith needs to deconvert. Which means, in a broader sense, if you're very interested in your child, which I know you are, we are very interested in our children um, knowing the Lord intimately and personally and being yielded to His Lordship in our lives. We are very interested in their salvation. We're very interested in their being connected to the kingdom of God. And if what they had was not that, and it had to not be that for them to be able to, to leave it, or at least it wasn't strong enough, as strong as what mine is, or as strong as what it can be, then the fact that they're deconverting is actually progress toward being a genuine convert, of being a, a real child of God. Are you following with me? What I'm saying is, if they were just going through the motions, or if they were just doing it because they were your kid, or they were just doing it because that was the world that they were in, and it wasn't because they really had genuinely made a commitment to the Lord God Almighty, then when they deconvert, they're really closer to getting to know God for themselves because they're stepping away from that. You don't want your child to live their whole entire life with only a sociological Christianity. That's all I'm saying. And so, my friends, I'm trying to say to you that if your child is deconverting, you can be certain they're moving closer to the Lord, not further from Him, than they were when you didn't know what was going on. I hope that makes sense. Now, if your child was genuinely a believer, and only God knows, remember, only God knows, and if they really made a commitment to the Lord in their heart as genuinely as they knew how to do, and God is the knower of these things, I certainly am not. How many times have my kids surprised me? I mean, how many times have they surprised me in good ways, and how many times have they surprised me in terrible, horrible ways, you know? I don't know. I don't know even what I think I know. I don't know anything most of the time. But God knows everything. And so God knows. And so if they genuinely are a child of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He is Lord, they are His child, and they somehow during this season have chosen to steer away from that, then that too is not a terrible thing. Because whatever it is that's caused them from to steer away will be used by God to bring them back to an even stronger place with Him. He will continue to work with them from the inside while, while um, we're praying from the outside. And, and I think what I want to get across maybe in this, our third of these three podcasts, is our main role is to pray. Is to, is to pray. Not to not to try to convince, not to try to talk about, not to try to be the voice, not anything else, but just to pray. And you guys know that I'm all about prayer. Y'all know that I believe that God answers us when we pray. And it's the most powerful thing we can do. It's the secret weapon that they can't stand. Did I tell y'all already in this series that there was a night when my son was sitting in the room where I pray? And he said, I don't want you to do this in here. And I said, well, I'm going to keep doing it. He's like, no, I'm serious. It's messing me up. I said, well, you're going to have to be messed up because I'm going to keep praying. <laughs> there was another night that he came on into that room. People just gravitate to my praying room. And um, he brought two friends with him. And both of these friends come from Christian homes. And they are none of them are, are walking in their faith in a way that looks like it from the outside. <laughs> and they're sitting there. And one of them said, this is a spiritual room. I sense the spiritual power in this room. And my son said, well, of course you do. This is where my mom has her quiet time. This is where she prays. And they all just kind of smiled. And, and this girl said, well, well, I, I feel it. I feel the power of that in this room. Isn't that cool? 
So I'm telling you guys, we've got the ace. You know, when I was young, and I know I'm rambling right now, but I'm, I'm running with it. It's my podcast. I can do this, right? <laughs> when, I was, when I was younger, when Tom and I first married, we played a lot of Rook. That's a card game. And the way we played Rook, the McCoy way of playing Rook, I didn't even know the game until I married the McCoys. The McCoy way of playing Rook was to play with a Rook and a Red One. And most people would tell us, well, that's no, no longer the game of Rook, it's the game of Red One. Because a game of taking bids and the highest card in the deck is the Rook until you're playing Red One, and then the Red One is higher than the Rook. It can take the Rook. And um, what I'm telling you, my friends, is because we have right standing with the Lord God Almighty that was provided to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We get to march into the very throne room of God. You understand, the maker and holder togetherer of the universe is at our, is allowed us to have audience with Him. We can go right into the throne room and we can lay our petitions before Him and we can know that He hears us and that He's going to respond to all of the things that we are burdened and that we're praying for out of His perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge, perfect love, perfect everything. And God knows you love that kid. So the very best thing we can do for our children that are deconstructing in our, their faith is to pray for them. And to pray for them with a confident spirit that to the God, that when we pray to God, that we're doing the most powerful thing and that God's got it taken care of. You know what comes to my mind? What comes to my mind is Jesus' very first public miracle. When they were at the wedding, remember? And Jesus was there with his mother and with, a, with some of his disciples. Maybe all of them, I don't know. i got to go look it up. Um, and in, in that story, that the people had run out of wine. And it was going to be a huge social faux pas, like a, a huge disaster and an embarrassment for this family. That's all it was. And a social humiliation. And so Mary, who loved these people, came to Jesus, her son, who she knew what he was capable of, and she knew who he was. And she had the kind of relationship with him that she could ask him to do anything. I love it. I love the intimacy of that relationship. And she comes to him, and what does she say? She says, Jesus, I've got no wine. And what does Jesus say? He says, it's not my time yet. It's not time yet. And then what does she say? She doesn't beg him. She doesn't stand there and try to convince him of anything otherwise. She merely goes to the service and just do whatever it is that he says for you to do. And here's the deal, my good mom and dad. I think I probably got a lot of mamas listening to me. And we'll talk more about how we have to grieve in a minute. But when I come to the Lord God Almighty, pleading on behalf of my children, and even if his response to me and all the evidence around me is, it's not time yet. I want to have the kind of confidence in his power and his love that his mother had. And I want to be able to say to myself and to anybody else who needs to hear it, you know what? We're just going to go with whatever Jesus decides to do. Whatever he decides to do, we're going to do. And for the most part, for me, right now in my life and this has been going on for several years I didn't just start talking about this uh, right now it's it's what I've been dealing with for a couple of years while I've not been writing books and um, but what I want to say to myself and to my ministry and everything else is I'm just gonna do whatever Jesus tells me to do now Whatever he tells me to do and whatever he wants me to be about and wherever he wants my emotional energy to go, that's where it's going to go. And, and by doing that, I'm stewarding this pain very well because I'm choosing to not let what he's not doing, not let that hinder my confidence in him or my love for him or my trust in him. I'm just going to carry on. We're going to carry on. Because we all have one life to live and we only have so much time. we got to be about the work that God's called us to do. And I love that she just walked away. It's like whatever he's going to do, it's going to be okay. And that's the way that I would like to be when I'm praying for my children who have deconstructed their faith. But um, 
I, I said here in my notes, in other words, the most loving and cooperating with the Holy Spirit thing we can do is, oh, and this is what I wanted to say about their deconversion, the most loving and cooperating with the Holy Spirit thing that we can do is to compassionately allow our children to deconvert. We can stop arguing with them. We can stop being aggravated with them. We can quit wringing our hands and being worried about them. And instead, we can simply love them, continue to have fellowship with them if they will allow us to, and be patient as their deconversion carries them where it where it goes um, and then I have here in my notes to read further in my book for you on page 38 so let me see if I can find that again it keeps going back to the page I was actually on which I'm almost done with this book you know how on Kindle they'll tell you how much percentage you've read I've read like 91% now so I highly recommend it and I will try to figure out how I can put this in the notes this book so that you can have it John Marriott the Anatomy of Deconversion. So page 38, hang on, I'll get there one second. There's probably a way to get there quicker, but you know what? It's impressive to me that I can record this podcast and look at this Kindle. At the same time, might not impress you, but it does me. Okay, I'm back to almost there. So here we go. Page 38 says this. I hope it's a good quote once I get there. Here's good. This is good. I don't, um, I'm not exactly sure. I wrote the wrong page down after all of that. Here it is. No, I didn't. I was just, what in the world? I wasn't seeing the right page. Oh, would you know that my book on Kindle has three page 38s? Do they all do that? Oh, they do, because I guess it's the pages. Okay, never mind. I'm so sorry. All right. This is the quote I want you to hear. It is on one of my pages of 38. Indeed, for such individuals, the loving thing to do is to allow them to deconvert. I realize that may sound harsh and unloving, but if Jesus says that knowing the truth sets one free, then if, in their experience with Christ, they were not set free, we should conclude that they never really experienced the truth. In that case, whatever it was that they were converted to was not biblical Christianity, but some admixture of dead religion and biblical truth. If there is any hope of such individuals ever coming to a knowledge of the truth, they must first leave their pseudo-Christianity behind. As C.S. Lewis said, if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. Guys, that was worth finding. So what the writer is saying here is just what I have said. That if what your son or daughter was embracing was not the truth, and if it was creating for them angst and pressure... And they, the one of the things he has, what he has done, this guy John Marriott, is he has interviewed a whole lot of people that have deconverted their faith, and every one of them say that they feel more freedom outside of Christianity than they did inside of Christianity. When Jesus said, "I have come to set you free," and so what they were experiencing was not the freedom that Christ came to give them, and so I know this is hard to recognize and to realize and to swallow. And I don't know what your kid's dealing with, but I know I've seen in my children um, a lot of baggage that they're letting go of that needs to be let go of. And as I'm praying for them, I'm praying that, you know, the wheat and the, sha the chaff get separated and that the chaff will go away and that the wheat will remain. And as I'm praying, I'm really trusting and holding tight to what God um, has 
you know, promises me for my children. So I know it's painful and I know and I want you to know that because it's painful, I have learned that it's not unspiritual or immature of my faith to grieve. I mean, I have to grieve. I love my kids. I mean, you've heard me cry in most of these podcasts that I've done on this subject because it's so near to my heart. It's why I didn't, I talk about everything. I'm like an open book. I'm like Miss Authentic whatever. <laughs> but I haven't talked about this because it's so deeply grieved me. You hear the tears in my heart as I talk now. So I'm, I want to say to you now that it is okay to grieve. But I, I believe that the very most healthy place for us to do our grieving is in the privacy of your own spiritual bedroom. And in the privacy of that intimate place with the Lord, honey, complain to God. Do it like David did. I'm gonna, I want to read you um, out of Psalm chapter 142. Years ago, my very first book on prayer, I, I centered on this Psalm 142. And I read it, this first of it, again tonight. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I didn't even have kids when I was writing that. And who knew that it would be so appropriate for now. So this is a Psalm of David. It says, when he was in the cave. And this is what he says. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. Mercy, Lord. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you, Lord, who watches over my way. And in the path where I walk, this is what has happened. People have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for me. I cry to you, Lord. Okay, here's how this would be translated for us. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord. Give me mercy, Lord. I pour out my complaint before you. I'm going to tell you about all my trouble. My spirit grows faint within me. I know that you're with me. I know that you're watching over my way. I know that you are in the path with me where I walk. But in this place... My beautiful, precious, well-stewarded. I gave them to you from the get-go. And I walked with them and I, and, I, and I reared them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. They have turned away. Look and see. They are, they are following after false gods. They're being scooped up into false religions. And... And I, I, I can't even I can't even talk about this for fear that they will be wounded or hurt about it. There's there's no place that I can go. I you know and you may even say I'm so ashamed. I, I'm so you know people are gonna judge me. I hate it. I hate where I am. I hate, but I it's not where I am that I hate as much as it is where my children are. And as I watch them, I see all of the pain in their life to be avoided. And all of the things that we don't get to have that I thought that we would. And the psalmist went on to say, I have no refuge and no one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord, and I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to me, for I'm desperate. I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Would you like to admit that? New Age is too strong for me. Hinduism is too strong for me. Wicca and witchcraft is too strong for me. Um, um, humanism is too strong for me. The pride of life and the tree of good and evil, it is too strong, or the knowledge of good and evil is too strong for me. Set me free, Lord, from this prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Isn't that a great way to end? Psalm 142. You go and you pray that thing in your privacy of your spiritual bedroom. And let me remind you that God knows it hurts. He understands the losses that you are experiencing. And just like a good marriage partner or best friend... Your relationship with him grows deeper and richer in the hard time of this. If you watch, God will send you encouragement along the way. God has done that with me in the form of a friend.
who uh, at the time we thought we got together because we had one circumstance we were going through that we thought was common. And then in the midst of our connecting through that, um, my daughter, I have two daughters and a son. And one of my daughters is just growing in the Lord and walking with Him and, and doing great. But she came out of an abusive relationship in a season of our lives that I wrote seven books during that season. So it was it was a it was a season. But um, the other daughter, who was headed to be a missionary on the mission field, has now deconstructed her faith, and um, God knew that I would need this friend when that started happening and it has been so sweet to have somebody who shares my heart for my kid like she shared I share her heart for her kid and we're able to walk together and there's something very sweet about the fellowship we have that other people who aren't going through what we're going through can't understand and the beauty of it is though that God knew we would need each other and so he put us together and my friend, I'm going to tell you that if you haven't found that yet, God's going to give you somebody or something that will come alongside you and encourage you. He will meet you in this hard time. He'll either stop it. Remember what he did when he got in the storm? He either stood up and stopped it or they made their way through it. He either walked on that water or they made their way through it. But God will meet you in the hard. God will meet you in the hard. Now, the best reason to do your grieving in the privacy of your spiritual bedroom is because it moves you out of the line of fire and keeps their deconstruction between them and God rather than them and God and you and you and God and them and it's just too many people in that process. This is the voice of experience speaking to you right now. <laughs> I told you this deconstruction has been going on for several years. And I am telling you, I did not have the wisdom to do this. I would um, get sucked into conversations with my son and daughter. And many of them would happen late at night. And my mind would be, I mean, they were clever and it was crazy. And I would allow them because we've always been a very close and unguarded family uh, um, man you talk about being authentic we don't we didn't hide things we shared openly we loved big we had a great time together we just had very strong relationships with each other and so when all this deconstructing began to happen we it felt like a whirlwind a hurricane coming out of um, just terrible places and I didn't have sense just to be quiet or to get away or whatever. I just jumped right into it. <laughs> and I don't know that I ever did any good in that. It was just painful for all of us. So I'm telling you to do your grieving not with your children because they don't really care. Here, I mean, I think they do care, but they don't care enough. To, they're not going to come back to the, to the faith because you're grieving over it. That's the hard truth of it. And you don't need them to because that's not truth. We don't come to Jesus because our mama wants us to. We, we come to Jesus because he calls us to himself and because we enter into a love relationship with him, not because we want to please our mother. So their relationship with God needs to be intensely personal and it needs to be theirs. And that's why you don't need to be arguing with them about their faith and I would dare say you're not going to be the voice that woos them back they've heard your voice all their lives and for the most part depending on how much pride and arrogance they have they think they know what you think anyway and so even if you say one thing they're going to hear what they think that you said they're not even going to hear what you're really saying does that make sense but um, because they've heard your voice so much it's very common to them and in whatever way they've been hearing it is probably the way they're going to keep hearing it. They're not going to hear anything different from you. That's why we got to pray fervently because we're asking God to bring somebody else in the picture. And let me remind you, my good listeners, if we're praying for God to use another mouthpiece, another child of His in the kingdom to speak truth into the life of our children, then let's line up and be willing to be the mouthpiece to speak truth in somebody else's kids. So be aware of the opportunities that we have to speak truth into other children who'll hear it from us because we're not their mama. 
<laughs> it's the darndest thing, but that's how it works. So, um, let's see. I have here, their relationship with God needs to be intensely personal. It needs to be there. In fact, if your son or daughter is deconstructing their faith, they had a deconstructible faith. I've mentioned this already. I don't know about you, but I want my kids to have an indestructible faith. And I'm going to trust God to get them there. And He can do, my friends, what we cannot. I'm also going to remember that the path to an indestructible faith is rarely straight. My own faith journey has often taken me to places where... I have entertained doubts where I have questioned things and I've come out on the other side with a greater understanding and a, and a deeper resolve and a lot more humility. And so every time I've gone through a hard time with my faith, I've come out on the other side um, better, a better child of God. So while your son or daughter is deconstructing their faith, the way you respond to them will speak volumes. You see, the way that you respond and I respond to our deconstructing kids lets our kids know how much we really believe what we say we believe. If we are fretting, we're losing our mind, we're grieving all the time, we are stuck in a, in a depressive fog because of what they are or are not doing, then we are illustrating to our children what we believe about God and what our relationship with God looks like. Um, do you believe in a God who is infinite in wisdom and power? I mean, it's one thing to say that we do with our minds, but to really believe that with our hearts, then okay, we could say, yes, I believe in a God who is infinite in wisdom and power. But I'm just not certain about how he's loving me right now. How's you know, you know? I mean, that's how it feels sometimes. But do you believe? I've got these are the questions I've written down. Do you believe in a God who is infinite in wisdom and power, one who loves you with perfect love? Now think about that. I mean, how much more could God love us than to send His only Son, His sweet and precious Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. They are a, they are community oneness. There's so much oneness in the companionship of God that that He's He's um, He's a Trinity. I don't even understand it exactly. All I know is that He loves His Son. And his son is one with him. And they are aligned and their hearts beat as one. And he sent that one son whom he loves very much. Who was with him in the beginning. And that all things were created in and through. Who rules over all things. And he sent that one to come and die in our place. To come take on the penalty of sin. That's how much God loves us. That's how passionate he was. That's how, how willing he was to go after us and bring us to himself. And so if God is infinite in wisdom and power. And if he loves me perfectly. Then the next question ought to be easy. Can I trust him? With my life. And with the lives of my children. Can I trust him? Has God disappointed you or lied to you, abandoned you, or proven to be less than loving to you? Now, I'm not saying that bad things haven't happened. Terrible, bad, horrible things happen all the time to all of us. But in every one of these things, God will love us richly in and through every one of them. In fact, if I'm quite honest and a little bit selfish, I would say, yeah. You know what? God is disappointing me right now. And it seems that he's lying to me. Because he said that if I would rear my children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, then when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I don't want to wait until they're 60 years old. I want them to have never departed from it, if you want to know the truth. I wanted, I wanted to be able to celebrate this whole season of their young adult life with this intimate connection that comes from our spiritual oneness, you know? And I didn't get to have that. That's the stuff I have to grieve. That's the thing I have to grieve in the bedroom, you know? I had two daughters, and I didn't get to have the experience of really sharing in the excitement of either of their weddings. Like, one didn't even get to have a wedding because we wouldn't let her. Uh, she ran off and whatever. That's neither here nor there. And then the other one was just angry at me the whole time that we were trying to pull all of that off. It turned out beautifully, but it was hard. 
And um, I grieve that. But the truth is, I believe that God is infinite in wisdom and power. And I know that he proved his love to me on Calvary's Hill when Jesus stretched out his arms and gave his life for mine. And long before my children ever had names, long before I ever knew the name of their father, I yielded my life to him and I gave it to him, trusting him to, to um, take care of me and to uh, strengthen me and to use me in whatever way he wanted to but it's not a it's not a slave kind of service it's a it's a dance it's a it's an intimate dance of love and even in my disappointment there has been a richness and a depth that has developed in my relationship with God And so even though you may say, yeah, yeah, Leanne, I mean, that all sounds good. But for me, right now, God's disappointing me and he's seemingly lying to me and he's abandoned me and this just stinks. And if that's the way you feel right this minute, then you have the perfect opportunity to hold on tight. Because what is happening right now is not what is always going to be. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff. They, they are... Your presence is with me, your rod and your staff, they protect me. And God is with you right now in the very presence of your enemies. I read a blog somewhere that said, if it's not good, God's not done. Because he promised you in Romans 8:28 that all things will work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All the things. All the things are working together for good. A few weeks ago, my daughter, Michael, gave her testimony on Wednesday night to our group of women at our church. And um, she shared about, I had asked, we had been studying all fall my book, A Woman's Guide to Hearing God's Voice. And it's the book that I was going to title, Women Navigating Crazy. <laughs> and it was a book that I wrote while Michael was in her abusive relationship and having my granddaughter who was also in that relationship and I was writing about how like where is God where is God when we're going through these hard things where is God where was he when um, the disciples were in the boat you know where was he when Joseph was in the pit and I and I had all these different chapters and so throughout the study this fall when the women were reading the book and we were gathering together on Wednesday nights, a different woman would share her testimony of where God was during a very dark season of their lives. And so as Michael shared her story, and it was the first time she'd ever shared it, and it was, boy, uh, the apple didn't fall far from the tree because as open and honest and authentic as I am, daggum, she just was. She was open and honest too. And in fact, I'll put a link to her story in my blog post that I'll follow this podcast with. So you're going to have to sign up for my email to get the blog, blog, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the blog post so you can get the link so you can hear her testimony. I need to have her on the podcast sometime. That would be good. But anyway, as she was sharing very honestly and openly about this dark season of her life, the way that she shared her story was at, after every point that she was making, she said, and God was there, and she told how he was there. And what struck me as I was listening to her was how I had prayed, and it was a lot of years. It was like eight years. And I had prayed during those years. And in my own personal journey with the Lord, a lot of my time with him was in a real tussle because I felt like, just based on what I was able to see, I felt like that God was disappointing me, that he was lying to me, that he had abandoned me, and his very words that he had given me, the promises that I had hung on to, they would heckle me, and it was just, it was ugly. A lot of the times I felt beat up, and and so I wrote books as therapy. <laughs> and um, But as she shared her testimony, 
And she began to say, this is where God was. And she said, word for word, what was? It was almost word for word what I had been praying for her. And the crazy thing was, I didn't know it. And she didn't really know it until she looked back. But all along the way, God was answering exactly what I was praying. And so somehow, and this is the mystery of it, my friends. This is what prayer is about. God loves us so much that He, by the power of His Holy Spirit, puts into our minds and our hearts exactly what He wants to do. And when we're obedient and we're very sensitive to His Spirit and we yield ourselves to Him and we speak back to Him what it is that He's poured into us, we don't even know that it's Him who's poured it into us. Many times we're so overwhelmed by the pain of the situation that that's all we're feeling. We're just trying to survive. But when we stay with him, we hold on tight, and we spill out of our mouths what is in us, then we're delivering back to God what he delivered to us. And that, my friends, is the amazing mystery. It's like inhaling the will of God, exhaling the will of God, and somehow our human link in that is the powerful cog that makes the whole thing the whole thing happen and then God releases in the heavenlies the power is released to rush the answers to our prayers so I'm challenging you to hold on tight because if what's going on right now is not good then God's not done and he has promised you in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Please, my friends, use this painful journey we're on. We are parents of people who are deconverting from or, uh, uh, deconverting their faith, who are in deconversion. Well, I can't even think what it is. This is our journey. But let's use this very thing to bring glory to God. Let's use this very place to allow our faith to be strengthened. Let's use this very place to find a place to hold on tight to God and allow ourselves to receive whatever way it is that He wants to love us during this season. Oh my goodness, I just realized that my maximum recording time is um, 60 minutes. So, I may have to make this um, this particular podcast a part one and a part two. Because <laughs> I have a few more things to say. But I'd better um, stop right there. I'm going to... So, part three of our three-part series is going to have an A and a B. And this is going to be A. So, there you go, my friends. I'm going to leave you there. I want you to chew on that. I want you to think about it. I want you to um, know that God will meet you in the heart. And it's in your spiritual bedroom that you can grieve, you can be honest with Him, and you can allow God to help you see how you're going to make it through. I'm going to wrap this up right now. Y'all be sure to listen again when we get um, part B of the third part of this three-part series done. You take care, my beautiful praying people. Come see the blog. I'll try to put a link with our notes here. All right. Thanks so much. So I didn't start out to make part three of our three-part series on parenting people who are deconstructing their faith. Uh, into two parts, but my time ran out on me. So I know that I got quite emotional during part of that recording, and um, you know, it 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 just happens <laughs> when you're talking about things that are so near and dear to your heart, and it hurts, and you're trying to express um, how God is is being so intimate and so sweet in the midst of that. It is going to get emotional. So anyway, I do hope that if you know people that are um, dealing with this particular um, season in their own lives, if they have children that are deconstructing their faith, if you know people that are doing that, please uh, share this, um, this series of a podcast with them. Let them know that they're not alone and um, let them 
let them begin to, you know, uh, have a path, a blueprint uh, of what can I do. Let them, let them begin to have that because what we have to remember is the verse that I've been printing in the cover of books for years when I've signed them for people. And that is 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, my dear praying people, we overcome. We have victory. Our, our God is a God who will not be defeated. And when we take him at his word and we're clinging to that word and we're pouring that word, um, allowing it to be poured in us and then pouring through us, uh, we're going to see. We're going to see things change. We're going to see wonders that cannot be fathomed and miracles that not can, cannot be counted. Job 5 verse 9. So anyway, um, tune in. I'll have next week's blog, uh, podcast up and allow you to get to hear um, how we're going to uh, land this plane. <laughs> Keep on praying, my praying people.